people were getting excited about it. Um, and so that's, you know, when I, I decided to choose her. So uh, you love the style, but the uh, personality helped to seal it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> of us as a kid thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds flying through the universe at the speed of light watching immortal enemies battling to the death and some of us never grew out of it welcome to the under the mask podcast where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics. From the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork, to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, Episode 4. Pack up the swim trunks and the sunscreen. Today we're taking a trip to Hawaii. My guest today is an editor and writer for Burning Spear Comics. She's also the driving force behind Moana Masks and just released a new children's book, Fishing Day with Papa Ray. You can check out those projects and more at MoanaMcAdams.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Moana McAdams. Hey, Moana, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure to be on. You've got actually a really cool uh, initiative going on. You're spearheading um, Moana's masks, and you've got a whole hashtag and uh, doing the whole seamstress thing. Uh, What was the inspiration behind that? Well, so I know, like, um, right now there's a lot of people who you know, are, are dealing with this challenging time. And for some folks, it's harder than others. And so I just thought, you know, it was kind of eventual that there would be a time when we would be required to wear a mask. And because I already have, you know, my own clothing line here, I had all of these fabrics that have been kind of sitting around, you know, not getting used for a while. I had some potential projects before, but those just, you know, didn't find time (laughs) to get to them. And so a lot of the fabrics that I did have um, superhero kind of themed fabrics that a lot of people think are fun. And so I thought, who, you know, who are the real heroes in this situation? And, you know, a lot of the essential workers and the folks who are really keeping everything going right now. And how could we support them? You know, what are some ways that we could, you know, do our part in the community? May not be able to help everybody, but, you know, even if you can just help one person who might just need a little extra something in, in a difficult time, um, I thought that would be a good idea. A good use of our resources, you know, that we have available to us, put it, you know, towards a good cause. And so that's that's kind of the genesis behind it. And it's a win win um, to me because, you know, it kind of helps us keep our our business going, retooling it a little bit and then also helping um, others um, in the community and families who, you know, may not be able to make their own masks or maybe want to buy some for a family member, you know, or friends who who are in need. And so that's kind of where the idea sprang from. 
And to catch everyone up, uh, Moana makes these super cool masks. Uh, she's a seamstress herself. She makes uh, superhero prints, Star Wars prints, Hawaiian prints, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you can go check them out. Uh, it's uh, MoanaMcAdams.com. And she has her own uh, hashtag Moana masks. Uh, go look them up and uh, you can order online as well. How many masks uh, are you making a day? If I can sit and focus, like spend most of the, you know, the time of my day, I can probably knock out about 40 masks. Wow. 40 masks. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So there's a process. I, I kind of do them in stages because if you try to like take one single mask throughout the entire process, it takes longer. It's just not as efficient. That's kind of what do you call those in the manufacturing line kind of thing. It's the same principle that I use with my dresses. Like I, I try to make them in batches just because it's more time efficient. And especially because I'm the only seamstress doing it. I just everything <laughs> in my business is told to like maximize time. So um, the first weekend that I was making the mask, I think I don't know. I, I probably knocked out close to 100 just because like I was really focused. I would, um, you know, take all the fabric that I have, cut them up. And then like there's different steps, you know, like the sewing down part, the putting the elastic in part, the flipping it inside out. Me and my iron have haven't seen um, <laughs> as much action as we have been over the last week or so. <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, it, it took a little bit of experimenting just to try to find a pattern that would kind of work well. There's a bunch of resources online um, on YouTube that, I, you know, just kind of folks would send me some and I would watch them and find some other ones, too. And just eventually I ended up with a hybrid of a, a couple of different videos and something that I found would work pretty well and not take up too much time. So it's pretty fun. And I get to look at fun fabrics all day. So that's cool. <laughs> Before you were doing the masks full time, uh, you were actually doing uh, just seems interesting, like dresses and other stuff as well. Yeah. So I have um, my clothing line is Hawaiian inspired because that's I, that's where I'm from, from Hawaii. And so I had started my clothing line because um, there's a you know Hawaiian community outside of Hawaii, you know, across the United States that, you know, we still want a piece of home. We still want to feel connected. And fashion is one of the ways that we, um, you know, express who we are and, and our self-identity. So, you know, I, I wanted to have more accessibility to clothing that you know matters to me and so um it all started like i never intended for it to be a business it was more like okay i'm just gonna make stuff for me but then you know as i would be out and about i would keep getting uh, people asking me like oh that's really pretty you know where'd you get it from and i told them that um oh yeah you know i i made this myself They're like oh can you know can i get one can i <laughs> And so little by little, um, the business was kind of built and we kind of expanded into different styles of dresses and things like that. So a lot of the dresses are like common styles that you would see, but just with um, Hawaiian fabric and Hawaiian flavor to it. So most of our customers have either, uh, you know, have a connection to Hawaii where they were born and raised there. People who have vacationed there and loved it or just folks who like, you know, tropical feel and a fun atmosphere. And so that's that's where we were originally you know, uh, focusing our, our business in the winter time, it, you know, it definitely slows down because of the weather. But as we were coming to the spring, you know, my, my thought was that we would, you know, relaunch, you know, our dresses and do our, our little craft fairs and things like that. But, you know, when all of this hit, I'm like, OK, how can we um, what can we do now? You know, <laughs> people may not because dresses are more like a um, what do they call those? More like a discretionary per 
um, purchase. So it might not be um, a way for us to continue to, you know, consistently do business. But the masks was something that people were definitely going to need. So I thought, hey, it might be a good idea to pivot towards this. And it's been working well so far. They're definitely be keeping me busy. So and I've got to tell you something that resonated with me just listening to you talk. Uh, you were saying, uh, you know, you do this j- not only for uh, Hawaiian locals, but also uh, just people who've gone and visited there. And I've got to say, having visited Hawaii my first time uh, back in February for Amazing Aloha Comic Con, uh, just had an absolute blast. I can't wait to go back next year, hopefully. <laughs> Transitioning now, because not only are you an amazing seamstress, uh, but you're also the editor, an editor and a writer for Burning Spear Comics. Yeah. How much does your Hawaiian culture affect your writing? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say 100% because like my culture is a critical part of who I am. So it absolutely goes into my writing. It's it's the um, I guess I would say the lens and the perspective from which I write. Um, And so, you know, I could write a lot of different things. But one of the important things when you are writing is how are you going to bring a unique perspective or a unique angle on a story? Because, you know, a lot of people can write a story about fishing, which is what mine is about and you could read a lot of stories about fishing but what's gonna make yours unique and so I definitely wanted to infuse the story with a lot of Hawaiian values and then also take it a little bit further and also perpetuate the language part of it so the story itself is written um, in both languages it'll be it's in English and Hawaiian it's bilingual so that's another way to also make it a learning resource for um, children in school as well as you know um, um, anyone really of, of any age who is interested to uh, either learn more about the language or just be exposed to it because a lot of people actually don't realize that, you know, um, Hawaiians did, did and do um, have our own language. Um, and so that was another big important part of it uh, for me, definitely, when I was writing this series, the beginning of the series. It's not a series yet, but um, the first book in the series, for sure. And uh, I was just talking with Rob Moltari. Uh, he does Lone Wolf comics. And he was saying uh, that when he was younger, comics really helped him learn how to read because he was he had difficulty reading. And I had a similar thing where I had trouble reading, uh, picked up comics and they were just you didn't have to read everything. You could match up what was going on. Uh, but what's great about your book is it like you were saying, you have it written in English, but you also have it in the Hawaiian language. So mm-hmm. this way and I'm just thinking, man, if I if I had kids, you know, and they were that age and we we're reading through it, you can actually teach them kind of simultaneously here's English, here, here's the wine, and they can learn like that. Like, I was not able to translate it myself because I am not, unfortunately, not fluent in Hawaiian. I did start to learn the language um, when I was in college. I took it. It was part of our electives. You had to have, I think it was two years of language, so I chose Hawaiian. But, um, so I had help from, fortunately, within my network, you know, I reached out to, actually, uh, my friend, um, Kanoi, who is, um, she's all, she also has her own clothing line. And, uh, you know, because I was looking for people who could translate translate um definitely better than me who are who can um, speak fluently and she connected me with Kamaka Lehiva who is the woman who helped me to translate this story into Hawaiian and that was 
I was so appreciative just because like I had been searching for a while. I'm like, man, this is so important. I can't publish this book without it being in Hawaiian. Like it, it had to be, you know, I had to have both languages was was really my goal. And so when I finally connected with her, she like she did it really quickly and she was really awesome to work with. You know, funny thing is that she actually lives in Washington State, too. So I'm kind of bummed because we were supposed to hook up at Emerald City. But, you know, it, there's always next year or 2022, whenever we get out of this, this madness. Yeah, it's it's really cool to collaborate with other um, creators. And, and the fact that she also had a, um, a Hawaii, Hawaii connection was, you know, a bonus, too. So that was awesome. Go ahead and tell us about Fishing Day with Papa Ray. So Fishing Day with Papa Ray is a children's book, a children's story. It's about Nakoa and Nohea, a a boy and a girl siblings, and they're going on a fishing trip with their papa. And while they're, you know, this is this is a time where they're learning a a new skill. You know, they they love going to the beach with their with their grandpa. You know, he's he's finally ready to teach them. And so one of the things my dad used to say um, is that when the student is ready to learn, the teacher shall appear something to that effect. And so they go on a fishing trip and they encounter a little bit of difficulties, a surprise, a surprise guest, I will say. I don't want to tell the whole story, but <laughs> they do encounter a surprise guest and they learn about um, how different aspects of nature can help you in life, I will say. And they also encounter, which I think is actually very relevant to to the situation we find ourselves in now. They're on the beach and they meet a homeless man who's, you know, who's there. And, you know, as kids, they don't quite understand what that means. Um, So they're also learning about that. Papa's explaining it to them. And so while they're on this trip, they um, find themselves in an abundance of fish. And through that abundance, they, you know, come up with the idea that they want to share share the, the fish that they have caught with, um, you know, the man that they've met, you know, while also learning um, about their papa, about the skills of fishing and how patience is important and knowing your environment and the, the things that are around you um, will give you cues on when it's when it's good and when it's not good. I tried to combine like a good story with also some really important Hawaiian values. Like in Hawaiian culture, it's it's very it's not a, an all about me culture. Um, It's definitely about the community and making sure that we are taking care of those around us, especially those who might need help. And so, you know, you can kind of see the connection to the whole my mask effort and other things that I do. Um, Those are some of the values that kind of permeate throughout all of the things that I I try to do. And so those are lessons that I learned as a kid. Um, And it's some of the most favorite memories that I remember of my dad, who is now passed away. And so I thought that would be a cool way to capture his legacy and help pass it on to um, his grandkids, my niece and nephew, who were still really young when he um, passed away. And so when, you know, when they got when they get sad, you know, they have a book that they can open up and feel like they're close to their papa, especially because they always told me that, um, you know, their favorite memory was the day that we went to, you know, we went when we went fishing with papa and he put the fish in his mouth. So I have this (laughs) this art that's not in the book, but like it's like supplemental art where my artist had put, you know, had done the actual um, image of my dad with the fish in his mouth and the net. And it was, you know, referenced through like the real um, pictures that we took of that day that they remember. So it's a it's a little bit of our family's story and our family's legacy put into a fun story that kind of captures some values that if you have you've been to Hawaii, you can probably understand that spirit of aloha. 
if you have not yet, um, hopefully if you read this story, you'll kind of get a little bit of a flavor of what it really means when we say we give aloha. Hopefully that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I had a follow up question, but you may have answered it just talking there because uh, I was going to ask, what was the inspiration for Fishing Day? Was it uh, based on a true event? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit true event with some, ex- you know, a little flair, just like every other story. But yeah, it's it was definitely so my, my dad passed away. Let's see, it's been three years now. So, you know, as we were, the family was dealing with grief for me, I, I couldn't really it was just hard to talk about it. So like instead for me, I wrote and I kind of internalized my things and just write it down. That's how I kind of released. And, you know, as I was dealing with mine, I, you know, I would also check in with the kids because to me it's important for them too. you know, we, it's hard to know how kids are dealing with it. They don't understand it as, you know, as well as we do. And so, you know, they would get sad and I'm like, okay, well, how can I help them remember and, and not feel sad? So <laughs> I was like, well, let me, what if I wrote a story that kind of talked about, so when I would, I would ask them, I was like, Hey, what's, what's your favorite memory of Papa? You know? And it's like, like I mentioned earlier, it's like, Oh, the time he put the fish in his mouth. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, okay, maybe we'll write a story about that incident, but then, then you know, then also choose a location that's close to home and you know place that they've been and kind of also pay homage to my hometown and you know help people learn more about different you know different parts of Hawaii what animals can we put in there you know that are present in the environment to make the story fun because you know kids love when they they have uh, you know little friends in the story yeah I like the kindness and the way my father was like it's really captured in the story like because it's part of Hawaiian culture like whenever fishermen are critical to Hawaiian society because they provided you know um, food from the sea and so whenever there was an abundance it's shared throughout the community so like it's not like oh hey I went fishing and it's all for me it's more like this is the fish we have caught and now we will you know spread this out throughout you know the community or the village you know that um is there and everybody you know together we will all eat together and nobody will starve kind of thing so everybody plays their part in the community it's uh i guess you could say it's kind of a ride or die thing more hands make lighter work. Yeah. And so I was just like, you know, this is I, f- I feel like for me, I kind of found like a little bit of peace once like I had decided to write the story, you know, the illustrator was working on it and then we got it to the printer. I was just like, OK, if I do nothing else, at least I have captured his legacy in a way that can be shared even definitely. I mean, since he's gone, he's, he's no longer here. But even if I'm not here, at least his his story and his legacy and kind of like a little bit of what our family is built built upon you know can be shared with others and enjoyed yeah it's definitely a great thing that you went and just are passing his legacy on and in it you had a little help you know you had your translator um and you also had the the artist who drew us just some beautiful work for this children's book how did you go about finding the artist so sheila is amazing so sheila alejandro is my the illustrator that i worked with on this book and i actually found her in a facebook group community um the children's authors and sellers making books or something i can't remember the full title but it's basically a bunch of um, authors and illustrators kind of networking and sharing projects um, helping folks to connect like if writers need illustrators illustrators looking for work kind of thing and so when i was looking for an illustrator i definitely wanted to capture likeness that was one of the big things that was important for me so i basically put out a, a you know an inquiry into the group like hey i'm you know getting ready to write my story. I'm looking for an illustrator. Um, got a bunch of 
inquiries and kind of narrowed them down to, I think it was about five that like fit like the style that I was looking for and like their portfolio kind of had the ability to meet, you know, match the vision that I saw for the characters in the story. And then like I chose Sheila, like just from talking to the different um, illustrators um, about their portfolio. But something about Sheila was like, I don't know. She's like, she just, we were just vibing really well. And she was really passionate and excited about the story because her grandfather was a fisherman. Um, She's actually from the Philippines. And so her grandfather was a fisherman and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm excited. Like, I think I can really do this story justice because, you know, it's relatable and close to her heart as well. So I ended up choosing her because she, her style, um, when she did the concept art for me and and, uh, I, I did the three characters, I'm like, these are the three. I sent her the reference material and when she came back and I was like oh my gosh (laughs) you know that that really looks you know very much like my dad and when I was posting them you know sharing them on Facebook the initial images folks were like oh my god that's your dad you know like so people were getting excited about it um and so that's you know when I I decided to choose her so uh you love the style but the uh, personality helped to seal it absolutely yes It's something to be said about, I don't know, it's just like that unspoken, like the vibe that you get with people. It's kind of how I work. Like it just we have to be like feel some kind of connection and like a similar. I don't know if we want to call it a kindred spirit kind of thing, but (laughs) but something, you know, you got to have fun with the people that you work with and and also find folks that are committed and disciplined, you know, like who who are just as serious about their craft as you are. So that's always a plus. Uh, so speaking of which, do you and Sheila have any plans of uh, the continued adventures of Nakoa and Nohea? So um, that's interesting. I have to touch base with her because I know before all this COVID stuff happened, they were also affected by they had like those volcanic eruptions in the Philippines. And I think the part where she lives, like they were affected the infrastructure wise. So I don't know like how good their connectivity and that kind of stuff is. So, you know, all those things play into like timeline and dates and, you know, just uh, reliability. And I know when we were working on fishing day with Papa Ray, I think she had lost her computer or something like something happened with her computer. It went on the fritz, you know, and so those are kind of little factors that you have to kind of think about. But she's definitely on still on my roster for um, illustrators to work it. I also I'm also talking with another illustrator who actually lives in California. He's another Hawaii connected person. <laughs> He's from Oahu, but he did some of the um, like the sticker artwork for uh, Fishing Day. And he has more like of a like a chibi kind of style. And um, there was a lot of good reception to his work as well. So we'll see. I haven't decided which illustrator is going to do the next story yet, which I'm currently writing right now. But if, if it's not if she's not, in, you know, involved in this story, I, I, you will definitely see her, you know, in another one down the road so just see how all these <laughs> these different <laughs> variants play out in the creative well i'm process. i'm just excited that we'll, we'll be seeing more work because fishing day with papa raid it was a great little story it was something that if you had younger kids and you read it to them it's something that i think they would really cherish as they grew up that's what i was trying to capture because it's like you know those little all these lessons that my dad taught me in childhood like were kind of wrapped up in, in, in i tried to capture in there in in a very succinct way so so making making this book what was the absolute best moment you had during the whole process There were, there were a lot of great moments. Well, number one, like finally, like actually writing it was was a great moment because it's, you know, it's this thing that you you think about in your head and it's very easy to be in your head. But like to have it on paper and 
my mom was the first one to like read the first draft, right? Because she's she knew that I was writing, working on this book, and it was really important for her to like it as well. Because you know, it's it's her it's her life partner. But when she she read it, she was you know she was like, oh, this is so good. That's like such a that's so you know exactly like how your dad is, you know. And I'm like, okay, mom's happy, you know, so that's good. And then of course the next one is okay, let me let the kids read it, right? So my sister and and um, the kids read it, and they were like, oh, that's so cool, like is that us, you know? <laughs> and so they were really excited to, you know, have a story that, you know, they're a part of. So those are definitely really cool moments for me. And then, of course, to hold the book in my hand and, you know, know that all of the the ups and downs of first time uh, children's book, you know, working with a team of, you know, different folks and just the different life obstacles that can come up in the in the whole creative process and just finding ways to overcome those. And there was a there was actually a point where, where I was like kind of panicked about the whole timeline because the Chinese New Year was coming up and like uh, we got our books printed in Taiwan. And so there's like a six, I think it's a six week period where the, basically all the, you know, the printers in China and Taiwan, they shut down for six weeks. And I was like, oh man, we got to get the books printed and onto the boat before this happens because like you know when you do it through kickstarter and you have like this schedule like i i'm the type i like to stick to my schedule and sometimes you, you can't we had some bumps on the the last images because the book itself is like an eight by eight but when sheila created the images they were eight by eleven so we had to reformat and she had to redraw some of the images and so it got a little hairy there but um <laughs> Thank God for Sheila and um, uh, Sam over at Print Lore, who was, you know, helping me along the way and uh, just trying to keep it all together. And and we we managed to get it on before get it on the ship uh, before that hit. And I'm glad we did, because who knows what would have happened if we, you know, didn't make that. And then, you know, all the covid stuff happened and, you know, they started shutting things down in Asia and who knows, you know. So I'm just I'm glad we were able to get it all here um, stateside before all of this craziness happened happened so I, I think we had some 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 superpowers working there <laughs> so uh, talking about obstacles and struggles what was the biggest struggle you had in the making of uh, fishing day I would say like the time difference between Sheila and I, because so Sheila lives in the Philippines. And so I think that's like a 13 hour difference. So she would I would usually wake up in the morning and she would have all this feedback and, you know, things about the pages that she was working on. And so it was just trying to find a rhythm of like making sure she got what she needed before I went to work so that, you know, when I go to work, she's getting ready to go to sleep kind of thing. So that was the biggest challenge, I think. And and, and as I also mentioned, the, the little mishap with the with the page formatting that caused us to have to go back and that ate up some time. But those are all, you know, learning lessons to make sure that the next time around, like, OK, guys, are we all on the same page now? <laughs> uh, so we're talking a little bit about uh, the file format and uh, having some issues with that. Was that the biggest problem that you're fa you face doing this? I guess I th it's the one that comes to my head the most just because like I was like I had, you know, it disrupted the schedule that I had in my mind. I mean, I was also learning along the way. Right. Because for the most part, like um, in terms of like the the graphics and things for our comic books, like my husband was dealing with, you know, organizing all that. So just as we were going along, you know, like the artists used words that, you know, like I don't necessarily wasn't necessarily understanding. And so I'm learning graphic design and, you know, illustrator lingo and and then, you know, the printers like, oh, did they do it like this? You know, like what software are they using? You know, all those little nuances, like and the templates and, you know, all those things. It's <laughs> 
it's like mastering those things will definitely help anybody who's, you know, self-publishing. Like if you're going a traditional publisher route, you know, like you send your story and, you know, they take care of the rest. You know, they find the, the illustrator, they do all the publishing and things. But when you're self-publishing, it's it's all these other things that you're learning as you, you know, you go along. And hopefully you have some illustrators who have a lot of experience under their belt and they can kind of help you along <laughs> instead of like the blind leading the blind kind of thing. So that was definitely learning experience for me. Still learning, you know, always, always learning and just trying to find like some best practices for how to do it better, I guess. Well, and, and the nice thing about that, too, now that you've made the mistakes, you probably won't make the mistake again, you know, the next time around. And it's just something that's going to streamline everything. Absolutely. Yes. I, I hope not. I tried to take notes like I have like copious notes, like in so many places, notebooks online, you know, little notebooks on, you know, online note taker thingies. And one of these days I will organize it all together. I'm hoping to find some time during this quarantine to, you know, like try to organize my my <laughs> All of my uh, my chicken scratches, I call it um, my, the knowledge is there. It's just organizing that. Well, on the flip side of making mistakes, what was the best advice that you got starting out? I would say be true to yourself, like try not to let your um, what's that? The imposter syndrome get to you too much, you know, because you as you start to make progress and, you know, you do a thing, it's like, oh, I don't know if my thing is good enough. You know, that there's so many other people who do this, who probably can probably do this better. But it's really not about other people. Like we kind of sometimes we fall into this thing of where we're comparing ourselves to other people as well. But you don't you can't really understand their journey or their struggle. They might be struggling, too, and looking at you the same way, you know, so it's more like. Like focusing on yourself. What can you do better? Being true to like your instincts and what the story was that you wanted to bring forth. Even like in the editing process, a lot of, you know, fellow authors would say, if you have folks editing, like take it with a grain of salt, like, you know, take the feedback, process the feedback. But at the end of the day, it's still your book. So take it for what it's worth. Apply it if it if you know, if it makes sense um, to you. But don't feel like you have to be forced to let, you know, something that doesn't f seem right for you. So I think that's a really good piece of advice that would be helpful to anybody who's a creator. Uh, aside from that, was there any other advice that really just inspired you uh, that made you say, hey, I can do this or let's go or? Well, you know, it's funny because, OK, so at the time we were just doing Wildcard Chronicles and, you know, mo most of the focus was on that and, you know, what my husband was doing. But Tyler kind of said something He's like, Moana, you know, I would like to see what does Moana have to say to the world? You know, like what, what kind of stories does Moana want to create? And so I was like, oh, I, I guess I could be writing, too. <laughs> And so I was like, I don't know what it's going to be, but I was like, OK, well, let's you know, I started to think about some some things that I could potentially do. And I decided with the children's book series because, you know, um, when we're out at comic conventions and things like that, a lot of the folks who come to the booth are, you know, we often get asked about, do we have any children's book, um, all ages kind of content? And we're like, oh, well, the Chronicles is probably more like a teen rating because there is, you know, um, swearing and violence and that kind of thing. But so I was thinking, what what kind of product could we add to our offerings that could help, you know, fill a gap like that? So um, that's why I kind of decided to go with the children's book. It was a, we got a pretty good response on our Kickstarter. We overfunded. So I think it's a good start. And I, I think it's only going to get better as time goes on. And I learned lessons from Kickstarter as well. One of the big lessons that I took away from the Kickstarter 
Kickstarter that advanced promotion. I was able to connect with some other folks um, in the Hawaiian Comic Book Alliance. I'm not sure if you were able to meet them when you were at Amazing Aloha. I uh, I met quite a few creators there. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if they were members of the Hawaiian Comics Alliance. Um, so Sam Campos is the he's kind of the founder, him and um, Genesis Maya. His property is Pineapple Man. So I was able to connect with them while, you know, while I was, uh, you know, pre-planning for the campaign and things like that. And one of the things that we were talking about as things were going, you know, as the campaign was going on, I was like, OK, next time we got to, you know, we got to plan ahead. We got to <laughs> we're going to use our, our news contacts, you know, and things like that to kind of help spread the word throughout Hawaii, because, you know, they kept telling me, like, this is the kind of resource that we need for the kids kids and the fact that it's coming out of you know like Hawaiian created by someone who is Hawaiian you know it's just a different voice than having someone who is not from Hawaii trying to write about Hawaii and then you know the aspect of the educational and language you know resource that I was also trying to incorporate into this you know that was something they were like this this should be huge there should be more support about this you know and she was like I think just next time we need to promote you know more beforehand and just have kind of like a more robust press kit you know that kind of thing so that's another thing on the long list of things to do (laughs) but again capturing those lessons learned as we you know as we went through the campaign well moana thank you so much for coming on and telling us about uh, your books and your masks oh thank you for having me it was a pleasure um i definitely enjoyed my time here i love you know talking with uh other fellow creatives (laughs) for sure Um, Uh, now now your personal website is moana mcadams.com that's correct yes Uh, but where else can we find you in cyberspace so i'm on instagram as the real life moana that's all one word the real life moana and then on facebook um as moana Adams. And then we also have our comic book series is the Wildcard Chronicles. And you, we have a page on Facebook for that. Twitter as Moana McAdams. I'm not on that one too much. Yeah. And hopefully um, later this year, we'll also be kind of launching our own podcast, which will be headed up by my husband. And uh, I think we're going to call it the Lions Den. So I'm excited about that. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, Drop us a line at under the mask podcast show at gmail.com. You've been listening to the under the mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.